Good afternoon, good morning, uh, good late afternoon to some of you joining us uh, from Europe. Uh, my name is John Carroll. I'm the CEO and founder of the Service Council, and welcome to today's podcast, uh, in-service podcast series presentation uh, featuring David Watson, the Managing Director of RL People, on the topic of mitigating the impact of the talent shortage, a really, really critical and important topic which quite honestly dominated our board meeting, our Smarter Services Executive Symposium, our research, every signal that we are hearing from market, whether it be anecdotal, whether it be grounded in primary research we're conducting, it is all pointing back towards people and talent management and succession planning and mitigating the challenges of available skill sets, workforce, and uh, some of our tenured and non-tenured uh, employees. So it is just a critical topic, planning for, um, uh, identifying, engaging, onboarding, maximizing, um, retaining, and then planning forward in terms of succession planning. So just a critical topic and something we're going to dive into. All of the areas I just talked about, we'll dive into during today's discussion. Um, and um, our podcast will take us somewhere between 45 minutes and an hour um, in terms of the discussion. We want to make this interactive. There is the opportunity for you to comment. Uh, if you'd like to just react to the discussion, wonderful. If you'd like to submit questions, uh, David and myself will be happy to address any questions live here. And we won't make you wait until the end to a Q&A section. We'll try and do it real time, get you immediate, an immediate response. And if you would like to re leverage this resource, the discussion here today uh, for your team or as something to listen back to as a resource for yourself, uh, we do uh, record this, make it available uh, via LinkedIn, via YouTube, via all major uh, podcast uh, subscription channels. And it is also available at our website, servicecouncil.com and uh, David's organization, RL People, will probably be hosting the same podcast recording. So without further ado, I welcome David Watson, Managing Director of RL People. Welcome, David. Appreciate your time today. John, thank you. Uh, thank you very much for having me. It's a, a pleasure to contribute. Outstanding. So, David, uh, you're a new board member of the Service Council. Uh, you just joined us at our symposium and uh, lots to sort of dig into and kind of reveal from all those discussions that you and I had. I know we, over the course of the three days we were together and since. But Absolutely. before we get to there, let, let's um, allow yourself uh, an introduction to our audience. Uh, tell sure. us a little bit about yourself personally, professionally, and a little bit about RL People. It'd be great to hear. Thank you very much. So, uh, my name is David uh, and I am RL People's Managing Director. Uh, personally, I've worked in tech services and executive recruitment for over 10 years now and joined RL People in its infancy back in 2017. Uh, since then, we have grown into a, a major player in reverse logistics, aftermarket and services recruitment, and our team of 12 skilled professionals support a diverse global customer base of OEMs, brands and service providers. Uh, I've always been passionate passionate advocate of exceptional customer experience, and uh, I'm really pleased to say that my passion is shared by the team here. Personally, I live in England with my wife, Nikki, and our two cats, <laughs> and enjoy spending time with my family, watching rugby and traveling across Europe and the USA. Okay, quick quick poll for our listening audience. Cats or dogs, which one? <laughs> <laughs> I'd, go, I'd go dogs, but don't tell my wife that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, smart man. 
Uh, outstanding. Well, good. Let, let's go ahead and dig into the topic du jour, David. Um, really appreciate you um, expanding on your viewpoints on some of the critical areas that, that we're tracking in terms of trends. Um, you are really plugged in on employment trends as an organization. You are right on top of things. Can you just share with us some shocking or revealing employment statistics, whether it be tenure related, salary related, or just talent availability or scarcity related, right? What are, what are your viewpoints? What are some of the things that stand out to you? Yeah, sure. So a few months back now, um, I was reading a report which advised that only 30% of the global workforce is actively looking for a job with the remaining 70% sitting passively. Now, this was interesting, um, but what got more interesting is that of the passive 70% of the workforce, a very large proportion of that, 87% to be precise, will actively respond if they see a position which is bettering to their circumstances. So that could be an increase in compensation, greater professional development opportunity, or the ability to improve work-life balance. Now, I, I found this pretty shocking for two reasons. Firstly, with only 30% of people considering new opportunities actively, it's crystal clear why there are talent shortages. But secondly, and, and more positively, I guess, it shows that there is serious opportunity to attract game-changing talent and passive talent if you are an employer that is able and willing to stand up from the crowd. That's outstanding. Uh, yeah, those are some really revealing uh, statistics you, you point out there. Um, and, you know, we're, we're going to dive into, um, you know, the criticality of um, engagement as we go through the discussion. We'll kind of dig into that. Um, the number of working executives, when we look at the age 65, so like there's a couple trends we're tracking, one of which is mm -hmm. this retirement crisis, the silver mm -hmm. tsunami, which is continues to build and expand, right? So those executives that are over the age of 65 is going to double from now until the year 2060, which, um, you know, seems like it's far out there, but it's not in, in the grand scheme of business in terms no. of planning. And that will double from 50 to 95 million. So this, you know, our more tenured and seasoned field service engineers and service personnel are going to be uh, at the age of retirement uh, at a more rapid pace. So we're going to be losing mm -hmm. a lot of that skill set knowledge. How big of a problem do you see this as? Uh, what are what are is that a, a common issue that you're helping to address within the context of your clients? Really great questions, um, and um, this was a, a key point of discussion at, at the service council get together, John. Um, yeah. It was it just continually came up, um, and uh, I really like the term the silver tsunami. That's one that I've uh, I've taken with me and will uh, <laughs> will keep for a long time. But um, Sil silver tsunami, it's coming, Dave. It's coming. <laughs> Isn't it just? Isn't it just? Um, but um, look, as, as far as I'm concerned, this this is a, a massive and very real issue. Um, as I mentioned earlier, here at RL People, the the core markets that we recruit across include reverse logistics, aftermarket, and services. And in certain cases, we're supporting multi-billion dollar organizations. And most, if not all of them, will openly admit to having an aging workforce and a lack of skilled or interested younger talent actively applying for jobs. And that's a problem. Um, so for prepared organizations, and as, again, as far as I'm concerned, there aren't enough of them. This is, this is creeping up on us and it, it's going to be a massive issue. 
Um, the prepared organizations are at least talking about the issue and collaborate, collaborating with the likes of ourselves to understand how we can collectively attract more talent and future leaders to the market. Just to give you some examples, a, a few questions that I've been asked recently include, does the industry need a brand overhaul? How do we adequately, adequately portray the opportunity for career progression? Yeah. Is enough being done at high school or college level to drive the younger generation into the space? These are all great and complex questions to which, unfortunately, there just aren't any easy answers. That, that being said, a strategy that we've implemented with some of our customers and one that I'm actively recommending is considering service professionals from different and diverse backgrounds. So by deprioritizing essential requirements in job descriptions and instead recruiting based on softer skills such as communication ability, willingness to learn and baseline technical capability, organizations will categorically see an increase in talent acquisition success, which in turn will increase the likelihood of finding future leaders to replace the aging workforce. Yeah, geez, you bring, there's so much to unpack there. My goodness. Um, oh, yeah. So uh, the, uh, in terms of recruitment and talent engagement, um, I heard a really interesting point brought up in our board meeting, actually. Uh, it might have been uh, during uh, your participation or even just prior to where um, a, a senior executive VP of aftermarket for Komatsu, a large mm -hmm. uh, industrial manufacturer of industrial equipment, mm -hmm. said, if you're recruiting past the age of high school or in the age of high school, you're too late. Yeah. And he said, and he said, if you're recruiting the, re the, the recruitee, then mm -hmm. you're also wrong. You're wrongly mm -hmm. pointing your your energy. It should be pointed mm -hmm. at the parents earlier in the process of learning and, and engaging in a, a career path from an educational standpoint. So I thought that was really interesting. It, yeah, it's so true. Ed education is everything. Um, and uh, as, as, as far as I'm personally concerned, I, I don't think there is enough being done at high school and college level. People, people aren't being adequately educated on the opportunity yeah. specifically within the service services space, but but in others as well. Absolutely. Uh, the other thing that I heard in, in unpacking what you had just talked about is raising the bar in terms of the importance of the role of service, right? It used to be yeah. this Turner wrench, very blue collar role. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the technician, right? The technician mm -hmm. has evolved to the field service engineer. When you hear the mm -hmm. word engineer, there's a little bit of a different orientation mm -hmm. to an engineer. It seems more sophisticated, which more sophistication comes with more money, right? Um, and and I, I think there is a, a progression of the importance of the technician and the frontline agent. Uh, we're, we're hearing a lot about it. Um, there's uh, They're being called superheroes in many cases. Yes. Um, Ford, uh, Ford Motor Company deployed a, a team of technicians and engineers that they were calling angels. Um, and so they, the, the, the rising importance of the frontline continues to happen and um, it can be a, a really rewarding career. Um, oh, you know, the, the average pay rate is continues to go up and to the right as as we mm -hmm. see it. So, <clears throat> let's continue to go on this uh, talent exodus challenge because it's not just aging; it, it, it's also mm -hmm. the younger populations. Um, we, uh, whether it be the big quit or, uh, silent, um, there, there's a, another, you know, quiet quitting, uh, thing quiet that quitting. we'll get, we'll mm -hmm. get to that next. 
But on on the big quit or the great resignation, as we've heard many, many, many times over the last several years, uh, we um, substantiate that point with uh, recent research data from our Voice of the Field Service Engineer Survey, where we uh, surveyed 2,000 engineers and we asked them if they were committed to the role of being a technician for the duration mm-hmm. of their career. 54% indicated no, they were not. Wow. And then and then we unpack that and sort of you know continue to peel back that onion. And when we look at different age populations, um, whether it be Gen Z, Gen Y, Gen X, before the boomer age, which is that mm-hmm. retirement crisis, it's even more, it's even worse. Um, so Gen Z is uh, not committed at a rate of 67%. Gen, uh, Gen Y is 65%. So it, it's just, it, it's not that aging population that's the, the issue. And it's more of the younger demographic just as much. And you talked about something critical, which is that career pathing element mm. and the importance of onboarding and engagement. How, how do we fight this, David? How do we get this engagement crisis behind us? It's a, it's a very, very good question. And um, look, I'll openly admit that we've, we've found the field services market more challenging in recent years as well. Um, yeah. The number of young people starting careers in the space has reduced. And more concerningly, tenured industry professionals are looking to pursue a completely different career, move away and try something new. And when you're combining that with the fact that a, a lot of people actively chose to rebalance their work-life ratio after the pandemic, it is safe to say that work needs to be done to make the, the profession more attractive and more engaging. Yeah. So how can this be done? I mean, I, I, I think this can be achieved by better portraying career progression opportunity earlier on in the talent acquisition process. So telling potential engineers and operatives about talent, about development opportunities. And I guess once individuals are employed, it's it's about finding that magical balance of achieving organizational profitability whilst avoiding employee burnout, which uh, look, I, I get that's easier said than done. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Burnout and, and mental health is a big causal factor to the engagement crisis. And and there's a couple of other things that we've been tracking as trends. So w- one of the things that we've been building some energy around is the parallel between customer and employee, mm-hmm. where, you know, we've, we've seen customer satisfaction um, evolve over time mm-hmm. from, from just, you know, satisfaction to net promoter score. Would you recommend us to what was your effort? Was it high or low to receive support today? Sure. Um, and and the same is happening from an employee perspective, right? It's not mm-hmm. just satisfaction or would you recommend our place as a place to work? Mm-hmm. It should be how easy or difficult was your job today? Did we enable you? Are we yes. listening to you? Are we building an, an infrastructure of enablement to make your job easier so you don't burn out? That's one Absolutely. thing. So this whole concept of employee effort. The other thing is career pathing. You, you make mm-hmm. a really great port point. And, and career pathing doesn't just have to be traditional in the sense that it's career ladder. It could mm-hmm. be career lattice. What are the adjacencies to the service role that this uh, could prepare them for with uh, being on the front line? So a lot of different uh, areas that we've been diving into. Any reactions to those things? Um, David? Sorry, I just... Uh... Just lost connection slightly there, John, but you've come back in. Um, yeah, okay, no no worries. Any reaction no. to those uh, trends that we've been tracking? Yeah, I mean, in term, my reaction is 
we, we just we just have to be doing better. I, I know so many executives who started their career on the front line or in a contact center who are now operational leaders managing that same contact center yeah. or, 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 or operation. There is so, so much opportunity for progression. We just need to be articulating it better. Outstanding. Outstanding. So let's let's go to the trifecta of of employee, uh, the challenge with employee engagement. And that is this uh, quiet quitting trend, you know, mm. where disengaged employees are just remaining in their roles and, and they're coasting and not being as effective or uh, productive in their role and <clears throat> becomes this challenge of, you know, do we have the right people on the bus? Right. Um, how do you see organizations, you know, building that engagement platform, you know, beyond the, the talent recruitment and onboarding process, once mm -hmm. they're on hand, then what, right? How do mm -hmm. we, how do we engage better? So I, uh, I sat in on a, a superb breakout session at the service council, um, event that <clears throat> reaffirmed exactly what my answer to this would be good communication with your team is paramount to ensuring deep engagement, trust, and alignment. Some of our customers have built very strong engagement platforms by ensuring that excellent and open communication is consistently being driven by the executive team and really reinforced by the team managers, the guys who are hands-on managing the teams. And then oppositely and, and negatively, we see the highest levels of disengagement and attrition in environments where matters relating to transformation, professional development and organization-wide strategy are not well communicated or, or communicated at all. Yeah, That creates issues. And when you're adding in the complexity of having a remote and potentially global workforce to all of this, constant communication becomes even more critical to driving deeper engagement. This is all about communication. Outstanding. I completely agree. 60% of field service engineers, according to the voice of the field service engineer survey, did not feel that management listened and reacted to their feedback to improve their day to day job. And 41% didn't feel that they had a role or a voice in innovation at their company. And that's not good enough. Shocking revelation. And we had yes. a great comment from our listening audience. Thank you very much, Wilhelm. Don't forget job rotation. Um, mm. That is uh, such an outstanding comment. Um, mm -hmm. We, uh, David Knorr, partner of the Service Council, who was co-moderator and MC of the Smarter Services Symposium, talked about how at Marriott, they force and mandate that you have to rotate every 18 months. Um, within your role to some mm -hmm. adjacency to expand your purview and your impact to the organization to make you um, uh, uh, more broadly uh, available to the organization, but also mm -hmm. to expand your horizon as an employee. Mm -hmm. I love that viewpoint. Thank you for your comment, Wilhelm. All right, let's keep let's keep going. So, burnout and mental health. We just talked a little bit about that. It's it's a huge causal factor of the shortage issue. Um, are you seeing, are you hearing a lot about this, whether in the candidate pools or in the organizations that are engaging you saying we need more because burnout mm. is, is, is causing a huge short out, uh, a shortage, uh, excuse me. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, it's, we, we, we've heard a lot and we continue to do so. Um, and, uh, the pandemic certainly exacerbated issues relating to, to mental health in the workplace, but, um, 
specifically on burnout, I mean, that is a, a very real problem in the service industry. Um, and uh, it really does need to be monitored closely with robust workforce planning and listening to your workforce, giving your workforce a voice, letting, letting them express concerns. Um, I guess additionally to that, we're, we're continuing to see mental health challenges caused by organizations that are trying to find the right balance of home and office working. Um, there are, of course, benefits to working from home, um, but there are also a lot of people out there who are craving good old face-to-face -face interaction, um, sitting down with the team in, in a face-to-face -face environment and, and, and collaborate, collaborating, talking about work stuff, talking about non-work related stuff. Um, and a lot of our customers we're finding have adapted well to this by offering hybrid or flexible working models that encourage people, and, and this is really important, encouraging people to do what is best for them. Let people do what is best for them. Um, and uh, that's been re really well received um, and mitigates the issue of, I guess, both burnout and, uh, and, and mental health crises. Yeah, yeah, we um, we've had some really um, deeply passionate discussions building up to the conference and within the conference around mental mm -hmm. health and wellness and mm -hmm. um, the 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 unsafe environments that our technicians and engineers and frontline are being placed in uh, the time away from family. There's a lot mm -hmm. of travel requirements. Um, the isolation and disconnection from the organization um, mm -hmm. is another big one. Um, and, um, it's just a huge area, you know, to focus on in terms of destigmatizing, you know, the, you know, there, there's a little bit of machoism in being a field technician or a field mm -hmm. engineer, right. And how can we destigmatize de that mental health and burnout and wellness and all these good things about, um, your own personal health, um, you can talk about it and creating a platform for, your employees to talk about it, but also seek resources in support mm -hmm. of is is just critical. Um, <clears throat> we had a great comment here uh, from Jean-Claude Jobard. I'm going to uh, bring this into the discussion. Sure. And it says, I would like you to elaborate a bit on a career path. I am not convinced it is, a, it is key to attract young talents. I have four kids ages 24 to 32. And while they are ambitious in a way, and want to grow, career path does seem to be a key driver when moving to a new company. Any mm. viewpoints on that? Any response to that? That's a, that's a very interesting point. And um, I think career path on its own isn't enough to attract talent. You have to be, you have to be using career path in conjunction with a, a multitude of other things. Um, good benefits, um, great company culture, and so on and so forth. Um, we've heard from a lot of I guess, younger talent who we engage with as an agency that the whole career path piece is important um, when used or when when viewed in conjunction with everything else. So um, I'll get to this a bit later on, but it, it just reaffirms the importance of having a well-rounded and attractive package when trying to attract talent in the space. Yeah, outstanding, David. Appreciate that. And thank you to Jean-Claude for your uh, contributions here. We also had another follow-up comment from Wilhelm. It's not only mental health uh, in sectors like mechanical engineering. Uh, frontline engineers also get physical health problems later in their job. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It is a yes. physically demanding job. Um, set aside the mental health issues, the isolation, the time away from family, the fact that they're constantly in front of perhaps um, issue-related incidents with customers where customers mm -hmm. are 
perhaps low sentiment. Um, set that aside, which is causal factor for mental health. The physical health challenges, the 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 grit, the wear and tear, um, is huge, and we see a lot of focus on um, automation, autonomous mm -hmm. work. Um, how can we sort of mitigate some of those uh, physical health issues that come along mm -hmm. with the job as well? So I, I mm -hmm. love that point there. Absolutely. All right, let's keep going in the discussion. Um, so, is, is there an argument that can be made, David, from your standpoint? Uh, that organizations do the opposite of deepening engagement and simply prune the executives that are disengaged. Going back to that quiet quitting uh, discussion, right? You've got a lot of folks sitting passively in their job and in their career. Um, how do you? How does one manage talent from the point of view of knowing when it's time to call a timeout and perhaps change course? Mm. I mean, the short answer to your initial question is um, no, I, I don't think the pruning route works long term. And I think uh, anyone going down that, uh, that route will find themselves in a precarious position very quickly. Um, it's, it's clear to me that organizations need to constantly refresh and develop their workforce as this allows for the creation of new ideas, motivations and, and ambitions, all of which are essential to success and I guess relevance in this ever-developing tech-led world that we all live in. Um, pruning without replacing will lead to a leaner workforce, which in turn increases the likelihood of burnout and attrition. If we've got less people doing more, um, more and more issues are going to arise. As, as to how we deal with, with, with discussing this, um, again, communication is key. Open, being as open and collaborative as possible with, with executives who are potentially approaching the back end of careers, assessing or asking them to assess what value they feel they're bringing. And if they, if they see future longevity beyond wherever they're up to. Um, so again, I'm, I'm gonna keep saying this <laughs> during this podcast, but communication and openness and transparency and trust are, are so critical. Yeah, I think that's a, a great uh, key takeaway and, and we'll continue to build off of that communication element throughout the discussion. You know, one of the things that I reference back in terms of you know, on the topic of pruning, um, mm. there's there's two previous uh, discussions that um, I'll, I'll reference. One of which um, was uh, Sprint, um, the uh, telecommunications provider, um, and this was a, a discussion I had with Bob Johnson, their chief service and IT officer, many years back. Um, they've since um, are obviously are a different organization, but um, he was talking about, you know, what what became a competitive differentiation for their organization. Mm -hmm. So Sprint uh, offered and introduced a fixed rate uh, bill plan. Okay. Um, and and one of the reasons why they did was because they customer journey mapped, and they went through an exercise of customer journey mapping, and they identified that almost ninety percent of the inbound calls that were coming into their call center were related to billing disputes. Okay. And and so they they identified that as a causal factor for burn, you know increased volume into the call center. Mm -hmm. So they said, well, how can we eliminate and perhaps prune our organization in terms of operating costs? Well, if we eliminate the need for customers to call us into the call center in terms of billing related disputes and it's happening 90% of the time, to what degree will that have an impact on our, our call rates and our volume of calls? And 
our resources in order to handle customer complaints. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so this was an opportunity for them to prune because they customer journey map. So I would encourage organizations to think about people-less experiences um, in, in lieu of talent scarcity. Mm -hmm. How can you automate customer experiences and think about what are the causal factors that are increasing call demand or customer demand? Big mm -hmm. area of focus. The second that I would, I would point out um, is um, uh, another discussion point that we had um, related to uh, a keynote presentation at our Smarter Services Symposium. And I'm trying to find the words. That's why uh, it's taking a little long for delivery here. Rusty Walther is the uh, former uh, Vice President of Global Customer Escalations at Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, one of the most hilarious man, uh, men I've <laughs> ever met in my life. Um, most entertaining keynote speakers. No shame on uh, our, our keynote presenters this year. But Rusty is just a hoot. Um, and, and he's a, uh, a guns blazing, you know, straight shooter. And uh, to use and build upon that straight shooter term, he delivered a, a, a keynote presentation on um, knowing when to get rid of employees, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and, and he referenced it. He lives on a farm uh, out in Oregon. And he said, you know, when the raccoons come, they bring their friends. So you got to shoot the raccoon. And so <laughs> when there's a, so I guess I bring this point up is that if there is a cultural misalignment, right, if there is a, a cultural misalignment within your organization and they are causing an expansion of cultural misalignment across the org organization, then absolutely it's appropriate to prune, right? Mm -hmm. That's a that's mm -hmm. a critical area of pruning. If you're pruning for the sake of you haven't figured out engagement and you're not getting enough out of that employee and the utilization rates aren't high enough for you, then I would caution our listening audience that that is an issue of your organization, not the employee. <laughs> that 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 is on you to get more out of that employee, to engage them further, to deepen their engagement, and it's not on the employee. So that those are a couple of critical things that I would just leave our audience with. Let, let's continue, David. Um, really, our audience uh, wants to get more from you here in terms of um, all the different trends we're, we're navigating. So uh, are you hearing more about the gig economy, right? So there's you know a lot of organizations. I actually paused inside our board meeting at our symposium, mm -hmm. and I asked a quick question polling our, our audience inside the discussion. Are you looking at third-party networks, independence, and partnerships to deliver service because of the challenge of talent scarcity? So are you hearing more about the, the gig economy and that extended labor network methodology? So I, I, I know this market very well. Um, prior to joining RL People, I was, I was actually in the contract recruitment space. So um, I'd say the last couple of years have been pretty turbulent for the for the global contractor market, but we are still seeing healthy demand for skilled professionals to join organizations on a temporary basis. Um, I wouldn't say the current demand feels particularly elevated. Um, so we'll be interested to hear what your uh, what the delegates said when you asked the question, John. Honestly, 100% of them indicated that they were every they were. single okay. hand in the room. Now, uh, there is um, sentiment that they're exploring it, mm. but there's huge challenges to engaging it. Um, mm. So uh, 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 there's, uh, you know, many industries have certification requirements. There's security-related mm -hmm. issues. There's 
cultural uh, issues and brand experience issues, there's a lot of considerations. Um, and, and so I think there's still a, a lot of inhibitors to entering a gig economy that still remain. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and uh, not to be a cynic, but I mean, I, I've seen situations where there, there has been an over-reliance on temporary labor, which uh, can become a huge cost base um, yeah. and uh, can ultimately affect the, the long-term stability of a team. But um, don't get me wrong, temporary labor, consultants, contractors, they can bring huge amounts of value to an organization when utilized correctly. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and um, it's, uh, it's something that we're examining deeper because um, mm. uh, I think there's, there's a lot of organizations that aim at helping to solve that contractor third-party network problem. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I think if there was an organization that could figure it out, I think they'd be um, on a path <laughs> to some pretty significant growth because it, it's um, it's just a it's one of the most pervasive challenges or areas of potential resolution for the talent shortage that we hear every single day is how mm -hmm. do we how do we think about third party partnerships? Um, how do we enable even our comp competition to um, support our customers? In sure. a in a third party multi vendor services offering, mm -hmm. uh, give them enough to be you know dangerous in the role of servicing our our customers. Um, <clears throat> so there's a lot of cooperation that's happening even amongst competitors because of the talent shortage. Mm -hmm. um, we had another interesting comment from uh, Wilhelm uh, Torrell. I'll I'll put it up here, uh, and uh, we also had another one from Jean Claude Jobard. Thank you both. Uh, very engaged today. So the first one is from Jean-Claude. Um, don't you think that with technology allowing very efficient remote support, there is an opportunity for companies to attract different profiles and or keep aging FSEs, uh, FSE population? So the whole concept of thinking about our frontline agents that are um, aging out and mm -hmm. bringing them into an alumni network where maybe you look at part-time, half-time, three-quarter time, mm -hmm. supporting in an in-office role versus out in the field. Absolutely. Our research suggests that that is definitely an alumni sort of graduation process in the career mm. uh, as you get to your later stages. We, we hear it every every time we talk to organizations around the career pathing side of things. David, what are your viewpoints on that? I, I couldn't agree more. Um, we, we, we too hear that. Um, and uh, I mean, we, we need to view technology as a as an assistive tool um, in mitigating this this risk that we're finding ourselves in um, and 100% uh, technology can help here um, and will allow for I, I guess the traditional recruitment profiling to change um, yeah. and uh, for me bringing different skill sets and, and different capabilities into the services industry is one of the uh, is one of the major ways that we will be able to mitigate the risk shortage so sorry the talent shortage so 100 yeah i couldn't agree more Let, let's go into um thank you for your comments by the way um totally totally in alignment uh in terms of our viewpoints um let, let's go into uh let, let's look at this talent availability challenge a little sure. bit deeper what industries are you hearing struggle most with respect to talent availability so we support a, a good number of contract manufacturers and, and oems and uh I must say, at, at the moment, skilled manufacturing talent at all levels seems to be scarce. Yeah. Um, and additionally, look, this is this is blatantly obvious to everyone who's who's listening into this. But 
the field services industry is struggling, um, yeah. particularly at engineer through to middle management level. Um, it's so obvious. Um, every single conversation that I had at the uh, at the service council symposium was surrounding engineering talent. How how do we increase success? Um, so I can uh, I can with confidence say that this uh, that industry is definitely struggling. And, and and what industries are doing a good job at engagement? So software as a service is, is definitely up there as one of the uh, one of the better industries for engagement. Now, there's a number of reasons why. I mean, the industry has a lot of startup organizations and, and disruptors that are challenging traditional employment models and structures. The industry is full of exciting products. It pays well. It receives a lot of venture capital and private equity investment and tends to be extremely flexible when it comes to work-life balance. I mean, these are all factors that just help with engagement and attraction. Um, another top performer is uh, an industry that RL people knows very well, and, and that is reverse logistics. Um, now, for the benefit of those who are listening uh, and those who may not know, reverse logistics is a term used for value adding and sustainable processes applied to a product or commodity once it has returned back into the supply chain. So repair, refurbishment, retail returns, recycling, and so on. And obviously, this is intricately linked to the, uh, to the services industry as well. Now, um, similarly, to, similarly to software, the industry pays well, and it's seeing a lot of investment. And uh, there's also a hugely important environmental aspect linked to reverse logistics, which really does help to keep employees motivated and engaged. Yeah, we're we're hearing a lot of focus on circular economy and oh, sustainability yeah. efforts. The importance mm -hmm. of, you know, uh, picking partnerships that you know uh, support sustainable practices, and you know, consumers are driving their behavior towards products, and their loyalty is is being driven towards those organizations that have sustainable practices. And the same thing mm -hmm. is happening in a business setting. So, mm -hmm. um, I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, <clears throat> that's that's a, a really great uh, set of points you make there. Um, and uh, I'll come back with a couple of key trends and, and considerations um, in terms of uh, areas to potentially um, build your approach to uh, talent engagement as we go through the discussion, because I have a couple thoughts brewing that I'll, I'll bring to light here before we leave with some critical takeaways. Um, let, let's go into um, the, the critical phases of talent management. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, there's there's acquisition, there's onboarding, there's and we see a lot of uh, focus on onboarding right now. Mm -hmm. Time to value, I mm -hmm. think that's out of necessity, right? So you mm -hmm. on you, you want to onboard quicker. You know, some industries it takes twelve months for them to get certified and trained and available mm -hmm. as a resource. So there's a lot of you know mirroring and job shadowing and trainings mm -hmm. and certification requirements. Um, so onboarding is another area, uh, and then succession planning. Am I missing any stages? And it, it, so if, if I'm missing some, let me know. But then what do you think are the biggest focal points right now in terms of the employment uh, process, if you will? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, that, that feels like a pretty good high-level end-to-end process, John. So uh, that's, that's great. And look, all, all phases are critically important. Um, I'd be quite keen to deep dive... I mean, as, as a recruitment consultancy, we, we are very heavily involved in the acquisition phase, 
and also the onboarding phase to a certain extent. So um, if I could just deep dive, dive, dive into those quickly and just share some uh, share some recommendations and insights. That'd be great. Um, so organizational culture and, and how, how your organization is perceived by a, a prospective employee starts at the very beginning of the journey. So your acquisition process has to be exceptional. If you're using a, a recruitment partner or your own talent acquisition team, you need to be asking them questions about their process, due diligence and market expertise. The number of organizations that unfortunately allow for their brand and culture to be misrepresented, misrepresented because they're using the wrong partner, it's astounding. It's, it's, it's such a shame. Um, now, the interview stage is critical. Um, and, and during this stage, acting timely and with urgency, whilst, I'm going to say about communication again, whilst consistently communicating updates via your, your recruitment partner or team is, is essential. In the current market, it's, it's high demand. Active candidates tend to be in multiple processes simultaneously. So have a choice to remove themselves from a process that is taking too long or just isn't particularly engaging. And this is something that we're seeing way too often, unfortunately, it, it really is. Um, as for in onboarding, and then I guess engagement throughout that, yeah, time, time, time to value is, is important. And um, there's, I guess, organizations grapple with the whole concept and I guess reality that we need individuals in the field as quickly as possible, but they need to be proficient at the same time. Um, so it's finding that balance um, and having structures and roadmaps in place that yeah. I guess track progress. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it, the real important facet here is is communicating progress, communicating expectations, communicating deliverables to your employees to make sure that they're on the same page, making sure that they understand what the key deliverables are, what the key expectations are, because poor communication leads to employees making assumptions, and those assumptions are usually negative, and they propagate very quickly. Let, let's stay on the topic of talent attraction. What what are some of the critical? We we just heard a couple of really cool um, uh, keynote presentations at our Smarter Services Symposium. One one of which was from the Home Depot, mm -hmm. and a collaborative between the Home Depot and uh, an organization called the Skill Point Foundation, okay. where they're offering scholarship uh, programs to students who want to get involved in the, in the trades industry. Um, uh, just a, an outstanding. Uh, program and and we've seen a lot of or other organizations embrace similar strategies. So Schneider Electric is also collaborating with the Skillpoint Foundation now, and and it, it's starting to snowball. There's a lot of organizations doing something similar. Uh, the Mike Rowe Foundation, uh, mm. Mike Rowe, Dirty Jobs, right? He's uh, he's got his own scholarship program as well, and some some just a lot of effort on scholarship and investment in the future talent, if you will. Um, are career fairs still a thing? Uh, what, how, what, are, what are we doing to get people aggregated? What, what, how are we doing this? I've always said that recruitment is a contact sport. <laughs> um, visibility and creativity are key here. Um, yeah. For me, organizations that enjoy the highest levels of, of talent acquisition success are very proactive in engaging with the candidate market. And this becomes more critical 
I guess, as we look at the younger generations as well. So job fairs, funding college programs, um, actively posting and being present and receptive on all social media platforms, they are great starting points and have to be adopted by organizations that are looking to, looking to hire. I go back to the talent uh, acquisition uh, commentary that you built on our last discussion. And um, there, there was a, uh, a comment made on a panel discussion at our symposium from Peter Seward, who is uh, the vice president of engineering and services uh, for Harpac Alma. Mm -hmm. um, and <clears throat> he's a board member and uh, just a great contributor to the service council. And he said, if there's one thing that I micromanage, it, it is hiring. He mm -hmm. said, I, I need to be and I want to be the final interview with each and every employee that joins the mm -hmm. service staff. It's not about micromanaging. It's making sure there's a cultural fit and alignment. He said, this is just something critical to me and uh, something that I instill in my organization is that, I, that that's the one area I'm going to micromanage uh, is that one part. It's the really other thing, <laughs> yeah. The other thing, the other thing that that I heard, which was really interesting, is celebrating uh, our new talent, mm -hmm. right, at the onboarding process. Mm -hmm. So uh, you know, we've all seen in the sports industry, you know, signing days, National Signing Day, and you know, this football player is going to this school, and this is going to that school, and mm -hmm. there's a celebratory moment when you know a key figure is added to a team. Mm -hmm. Well why aren't we doing the same thing in our services organization? Let's have a national signing day. You yes. want to become a field service engineer? Great. Let's celebrate it. So mm -hmm. I, I heard, uh, I heard a lot about that and there's a lot of organizations that are doing a great job at making it a celebratory moment. And, and really that, that is in turn creating a brand campaign for future talent to consider, mm -hmm. because if you're celebrated, it's something, it, it's a value. It, it, it's something that you remember and, and sets you off on a, a worthy and, and rewarding career. So I just, I love that viewpoint, something that uh, I wanted to make a comment on. That's really interesting, really interesting stuff. Let's um let's go uh, to a different area because uh, we're, we're getting close to our time here. We've got 15 more minutes, but I want to continue. Sure. Um, what strategies have you witnessed organizations seeking to build, uh, you know, um, a, a more diverse uh, organization what, what are some of the things that they're doing to do that are they measuring talent pools in terms of diversity are they uh i, I think i know where you're going to go with this communication potentially yeah. <laughs> i'll start with something slightly different um okay so from from our customer base we've we've seen a real rise in dedicated diversity and inclusion leaders joining organizations which yeah. is very very good to see because these professionals are the individuals who are tasked with setting specific diversity standards and goals. Um, it's, it's going to help massively because yep. unfortunately it's, 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 it's been an afterthought in the past. Um, now, and in, I guess additionally, an increasing number of our service customers are, are actively pursuing talent and offering up relocation opportunity to culturally diverse and, and low-income countries which is a win-win-win. It establishes greater diversity, it's presenting opportunity to those who wouldn't normally get it, and it's helping to mitigate the talent shortage. Um, so yeah, the, the two key trends that we've seen are dedicated professionals who are really owning and delivering upon DNI strategy, um, and also a change in 
I guess, talent acquisition strategy and considering considering areas, geographies, and, and backgrounds that weren't previously considered. Outstanding viewpoints. Yeah, um, we are. Uh, we have launched a uh, a set of. Um, research tracks that we have uh, announced the formation of new advisory boards, functionally speaking, mm -hmm. across the service leadership team. Mm -hmm. So our, our organization has always been parked at the executive leadership level, and now we're launching functional research tracks, one of which is geared towards workforce and talent. Mm -hmm. And I got to tell you, uh, there's a gentleman who we just added to our workforce and talent advisory board. His name is Eric Rogers, and he is mm -hmm. the executive director of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging at Cummins. Um, okay. And mm -hmm. he uh, delivered a, a keynote panel, um, not last year, but the year prior on diversity. Um, and there was a couple of others featured on that panel that had great viewpoints. I'm just really looking forward to Eric's contributions because what they are doing over there is just intentional, authentic, and mm -hmm. quite honestly, outstanding and and so i think eric is our either our next podcast guest or coming down the path in the next 30 days so stay tuned for eric's uh, participation and contribution on on diversity a really important topic i'll, I'll definitely listen into that and just just to close on on dni john um yeah as a as a, a recruitment partner we we are now often being asked to consider diversity metrics when searching for candidates on behalf of our customers so it's clearly a hot topic. It's clearly being spoken yeah. about, which uh, which is reassuring. Outstanding. That's great. Let's go to another area in terms of you know organizations that are considering um, building its own versus outsourcing talent acquisition and candidate engagement. I I, I think I know what your answer is going to be. Um, but let me let me ask you, what, what do you see working well? Uh, a hybrid approach. Um, what what is what is uh, best executed from your standpoint? The in-house and outsourced recruitment model they they both hold huge amounts of value. Um, when used or working in harmony is when really great things happen. Um, so I would always advocate trying to utilize both. Um, yeah. Obviously, not every single organization has has the scope to have an in-house team. Not every single organization has the budget to utilize external external suppliers. Um, and yeah, I guess uh, I guess in terms of what I would say to these organizations, John, it's uh, you, you hit the nail on the head. It's uh, it's all about communication and engagement throughout the process. Yeah. Um, yeah. But what is what is really really important in the current climate? is making sure that your job opportunity, the personal development and the hard and the softer benefits that it brings are all the best that they can be. That helps to develop your proposition into one that is and should be of, of interest to individuals who are considering their options. Outstanding, outstanding. Um, appreciate the viewpoints there and um... I, I I would agree and concur with the the hybrid approach and then the importance of communication and and consistency and alignment. Right, I think if you have two different competing priorities, it, it's not gonna there's gonna be a cascading of of um, ideas and concepts and talent pools and processes and uh, so there's just a, a, an incredible importance in terms of alignment. Absolutely. Let's 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 go to our closing questions here. Let's let's go to. Um, you know, your recent appointment as a board member. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, you joined us at the Smarter Services Symposium and 
many contributions over the three days. Thank you. And we in, in, anticipate many more going forward, mm -hmm. including today's resource, uh, your viewpoints on, on the topic of talent management. What do you expect to get out of the role? What is how has it been for you so far? Uh, maybe talk a little bit about uh, your affiliation with the Service Council and the value you yeah, receive. Sure, sure. It, it's been a genuine pleasure to contribute so far, and uh, and I, I do look forward to the future. Um, so thank you for the opportunity. Um, I I anticipate value coming from multiple sources. Uh, being able to network with and support industry leaders being able to share insights on recruitment best practice, uh, constantly learning and improving on our collective knowledge of the services space. And I guess just being able to get ahead of the curve when it comes to emerging technologies, emerging companies yeah. and, emergency, uh, and emerging trends. Um, I mean, you have some very, very high profile and knowledge, knowledgeable executives on, on the council and um, to be able to just hear and, uh, and absorb some of the information that's uh, that flies around is, uh, is is truly an honor. Outstanding. It's an, it, our honor. That honor is shared. So thank you, David. Uh, really appreciate it. Looking forward to, to many more contributions moving forward. Let, let's uh, let's leave our listening audience with something personal about yourself. What What's a passion? What are you looking forward to? Uh, sure. in, in, in America's here, we're approaching Halloween, October 31st. So sure. I'll have a, a crew of four spooky children roaming uh, the streets of Boston soon. I don't know what the, the theme of costumes will be, but we're, we'll get there soon. What What's something uh, you're looking forward to? We were, uh, we were pumpkin picking recently ourselves. But um, <laughs> per personally, so uh, my, my wife, Nikki, and I, we're, we're lovers of animals. Um, and uh, we've recently started supporting a, a local dog boarding and grooming business in our spare time. So uh, Nikki does all the hard work of walking the dogs and ensuring best behavior. And uh, <laughs> I sort of sit there to provide advice on growth, commercials, and uh, I guess customer success strategy to a certain extent. Um, it is a part-time gig, but uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing how it, how it develops and prospers under, uh, under a bit of help from us. Outstanding. That's great. Great. And uh, what you know, one of the things that I'd like to do on a future podcast when we welcome you back, David, because I'd love that opportunity, sure. is, ha is have you, uh, a candidate that was placed in the organization they were placed at, back together to mm -hmm. talk about this journey of talent management together. I think that'd be a great podcast if you're willing to do that. Absolutely. 100%. And a, a bit of a shameless plug, but we, we do genuinely pride ourselves on on customer experience, especially with the candidate journey. Um, and uh, I'd, I'd, I'd be fairly confident in saying that uh, most of the candidates who we deal with would be uh, would be more than happy to, to come on and, uh, and share some insights. So we, uh, we must get that uh, arranged. David, uh, thank you so much for joining today's in-service podcast. Thank you to our listening and participating audience. Goodness, this was a great discussion. Thank you so much. Um, today's podcast will be available on LinkedIn. This was a LinkedIn live session. It's available on all the major podcast channels, YouTube and whatever you subscribe to. It's also available on the Service Council's website. Stay tuned for future web, uh, excuse me, podcasts and webinars. We do a lot of these discussions. Um, and I uh, hope today's uh, discussion was a resource for you. David, thank you. I'm looking forward to having you back. Thank you very much, Tom.